content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our September 2023 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? A program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the State Library of North Carolina, Accessible Books and Library Services, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons, all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. The Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across the state of North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in the program. This program is all about books available from the State Library of North Carolina, accessible books and library services. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library also has more than 11,000 patrons across the state. And if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information at the end of this program. Now, this month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of August at the State Library of North Carolina Accessible Books and Library Services. We begin with a very popular author. This is a new book called Identity, and it's by Nora Roberts, the number one New York Times best-selling author's terrifying new thriller about one man's ice-cold malice and one woman's fight to reclaim her life. Here's the plot. Former Army brat Morgan Albright has finally planted roots in a friendly neighborhood near Baltimore. Her friends and roommate Nina help her make the mortgage payment, as does Morgan's job as a bartender. But after she and Nina host their first dinner party, attended by Luke, the flirtatious IT guy who'd been chatting her up at the bar, her carefully built world is shattered. The backdoor glass is broken, cash and jewelry are missing, her car is gone, and Nina lies dead on the floor. Soon, a horrific truth emerges. It was Morgan who let the monster in. Luke is actually a cold-hearted con artist named Gavin who targets a particular type of woman, steals her assets and identity, and then commits his ultimate goal, murder. Well, what the FBI tells Morgan is beyond chilling. Nina wasn't his type. Morgan is. Nina was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, and Morgan's nightmare is just beginning. Soon she has no choice but to flee to her mother's home in Vermont. While she struggles to build something new, she meets another man, Miles Jameson. He isn't flashy or flirtatious, and his family business has deep roots in the town. But Gavin is still out there hunting new victims, and he hasn't forgotten the one who got away. Sounds like quite a mystery. It's Identity in the name of the book, and it's by Nora Roberts. Next, a book by James Patterson along with Maxine Petro. This is called The 23rd Midnight, an attention-seeking copycat, 
is recreating murders by a famous killer from the women's murder club's past with devastating new twists. Detective Lindsay Boxer puts serial killer Evan Burke in jail. Reporter Cindy Thomas wrote a book that put him on the bestseller list. An obsessed maniac has turned Burke's true crime story into a playbook and is embellishing it with gruesome touches all his own. Now Lindsay's tracking an elusive suspect and the entire murder club is facing destruction. This one's called The 23rd Midnight, and it's by James Patterson and Maxine Petro. Now let's take a look at a book called I Will Find You by Harlan Coben. Five years ago, an innocent man began a life sentence for murdering his own son. Today he found out his son is still alive. David Burroughs was once a devoted father to his three-year-old son Matthew, living a dream life just a short drive away from the working-class suburb where he and his wife Cheryl first fell in love, until one fateful night when David woke suddenly to discover Matthew had been murdered while David was asleep just down the hall. Half a decade later, David's been wrongly accused and convicted of the murder, left to serve out his time in a maximum security prison, a fate which, grieving and racked with guilt, David didn't have the will to fight. The world has moved on without him. Then Cheryl's younger sister, Rachel, makes a surprise appearance during visiting hours bearing a strange photograph. It's a vacation shot of a bustling amusement park a friend shared with her, and in the background, just barely in frame, is a boy bearing an eerie resemblance to David's son. Even though it can't be, David just knows Matthew is still alive. Now, David plans a harrowing escape, determined to achieve the impossible, save his son, clear his own name, and discover the real story of what happened. But with his life on the line and the FBI following his every move, can David evade capture long enough to reveal the shocking truth? To find out, you'll have to read I Will Find You, and that is by Harlan Coben. Now let's take a look at uh, a book called Black Dog by Stuart Woods and Tony Roberts. Stone's most memorable reflection, he had been too long without a woman. Yeah, right. New York attorney Stone Barrington fights to protect a sizable estate from a predatory claimant determined to grab it from whomever stands in his way. When Stone's secretary, Joan Robertson, introduces him to her aunt, Annetta Charles, whose attorney at Stone's firm, Woodman and Weld, has just died, Stone thinks her request to revise her will is routine. And so it is on paper. Annetta, who rose from a shady background to marry into her late husband's serious money, wants to continue paying $100,000 a month into the trust fund 
of her stepson, Edwin Charles Jr., but to cut him off without a cent at her death. Now, because she wants to discourage him from killing her for the nest egg, Eddie, a Yale Law graduate who's never worked a day in his life, reacts to the news that his do-nothing lifestyle depends on his leaving his stepmother alone with predictable outrage and a series of pleasingly unpredictable countermeasures. He bursts into Stone's office today uh, in Turtle Bay, accosts him at dinner with his former partner, NYPD Commissioner Dino Bacchetti, and tells everyone who will listen that he's Stone's client. The lie becomes especially fraught when Annetta is shot to death and Eddie's arrested for her murder. Now, apart from Stone's forgettable flings with two women involved in very different ways with Eddie's threats, Woods keeps his eye on the ball throughout, and though the suspense never exactly intensifies, Woods doesn't do rising suspense. Stone's pesky antagonist is so well matched with both his hero and the requirements of his plot that fans' interest will never flag. As a bonus, Stone's self-effacing secretary is rewarded with a leading role and other emoluments. Stone's most memorable reflection, he had been too long without a woman. Yeah, right. And that was written by uh, Stuart Woods and Tony Roberts, and the book is called Black Dog. Well, it seems that James Patterson was very popular during the month of August. That's not unusual at all. Let's look at another book by James Patterson. This one was written with Brendan Du Bois. It's called Countdown. It is no secret that the writing and publishing machine, that is James Patterson, often joins forces with other writers. Now, this is the case with Countdown, which he has written with fellow New York Times best-selling author Brendan Du Bois. At over 450 pages, this lengthy story is set against both, both paramilitary efforts in the Middle East and a plot against the United States that literally has a tight countdown to be foiled lest thousands of innocent people perish. Now, our primary protagonist is Agent Amy Cornwall. Her strength is operating from behind enemy lines and completing dangerous tasks that few would even attempt. Now, at the start of the book, she is leading just such an effort with two colleagues in the mountains of northeastern Lebanon. The mission is in conjunction with two British agents who are regrettably taken captive by their enemies. Amy defies orders, keeping her team back in an effort to rescue the duo. She is successful in freeing Jeremy while his partner Oliver has been beheaded. The leader of this terrorist group and the one responsible for the threat against the U.S. is Rashad Hussein. Hussein is not someone to be trifled with, and a mere beheading is far from the most lethal action he is capable of carrying out. 
While all of this is going on, the narrative shifts to the ground zero perspective of Amy's husband, Tom, and her daughter, Denise. Tom is a journalist operating out of World Trade Center Building 1, and he learns of the potential terrorist attack on New York City. His attempts to reach Amy fall through as her own government has burned her due to her defiant actions. Now, Amy finds the same roadblock on her end as she cannot even get the local U.S. consulate to recognize her when she tries to get a message home. Amy teams up with Jeremy as they travel to London before ending up in New York City in pursuit of Hussein and his terrorist cell connections that are planning the big attack. With mere days to go, they are extremely under the gun to thwart this catastrophic plot. Making matters even more difficult is the fact that they are working outside of their own government agencies who are in pursuit of them for abandoning their stations in the Middle East. The final third of Countdown is a real time bomb of a reading experience. To say that the situation is tense would be a gross understatement. Patterson and Du Bois are able to keep up the high-octane intensity all the way to the end of the book without providing a moment for readers to catch their breath. This is a tribute to Patterson and his masterful ability to plot, and I look forward to his next pairing with Du Bois. Now, this was a review that was written by Ray Palin on uh, March 25th, 2023. So it's a brand new book called Countdown, and it's by James Patterson and Brendan Du Bois. Now let's turn to a book called Need You Now, a novel by James Grappando. In a new standalone from New York Times bestselling author James Grappando, a young Wall Street advisor and his girlfriend uncover a financial scheme that reaches into the halls of government. The New York Times bestselling author returns with a gripping new standalone novel ripped from the headlines in which a young financial advisor and his girlfriend uncover a conspiracy that reaches from Wall Street deep into the halls of government. Abe Cushman, the evil genius behind a $60 billion Ponzi scheme, has killed himself and taken his secrets to the grave. For Patrick Lloyd, a young Wall Street advisor at the world's largest Swiss bank, Cushman's fall has unexpected and deadly repercussions. His girlfriend, Lily, 
is directly tied to billions of dollars in losses suffered by Cushman's most dangerous victims, a group of powerful investors whose identities and dirty finances are shrouded in secrecy. What Lily knows can get her and Patrick killed, and now the pair are in a run for their lives that leads to the heart of secret operation and to a cabal of powerful government officials determined to keep their agenda secret from the public. With no place to turn and no one to trust, Patrick and Lily must uncover the truth before they become collateral damage in a financial war where casualties are no longer measured in dollars and cents. Once again, that book is called Need You Now, and it's a novel by James Grappando. Now here's a book entitled Between Black and White, written by Robert Bailey. In 1966, in Pulaski, Tennessee, Bocephus Haynes watched in horror as his father was brutally murdered by ten local members of the Ku Klux Klan. As an African-American lawyer practicing in the birthplace of Klan, uh, in the birthplace of the Klan years later, Bo has spent his life pursuing justice in his father's name. But when Andy Walton, the man believed to have led the lynch mob 45 years earlier, ends up murdered in the same spot as Bo's father, Bo becomes the prime suspect. Retired law professor Tom McMurtry, Bo's former teacher and friend, is a year removed from returning to the courtroom. Now McMurtry and his headstrong partner Rick Drake must defend Bo on charges of capital murder while hunting for Andy Walton's true killer in a courtroom clash that will put their reputations and lives at stake. Can McMurtry and Drake release Bo from a lifetime of despair, or will justice remain hidden somewhere between black and white? Once again, the book is entitled Between Black and White, and it was written by Robert Bailey. Now let's turn to a book called Never Miss by Stuart Woods and Brett Battles. Stone Barrington faces down a deadly foe in the latest thrilling adventure in the number one New York Times bestselling series. Following a string of adventures, Stone Barrington is enjoying some downtime in New York City when a chance encounter introduces him to a charming new companion. Too bad she also comes with the baggage of a persistent ex-boyfriend intent on retribution. As Stone skillfully dodges each disturbance, it becomes clear that there's an even more treacherous game being played behind the scenes. When long-standing grudges resurface, Stone is brought back into the orbit of some familiar enemies— he must use all his tricks, as well as those of a few old friends, to evade trouble before it's too late. But this time, danger just might catch up with him. Again, the book is called Never Miss, and it's by Stuart Woods along with Brett Battles. 
Now here's a book that uh, was very popular a little earlier this year. It's entitled Tidewater Inn, and it's by Colleen Coble. Welcome to Hope Beach, a place of intoxicating beauty where trouble hits with the force of a hurricane. Inheriting a beautiful old hotel on the Outer Banks could be a dream come true for Libby. The inn cries out for her restorer's talent and love of history. She's delighted to learn of the family she never knew she had, and the handsome Coast Guard lieutenant she's met there on the island could definitely be the man of her dreams. But Libby soon realizes that the only way she can afford the upkeep on the inn is to sell it to developers who are stalking the island. Now, the father who willed her the inn has died before she could meet him, and her newfound brother and sister are convinced she's there to steal their birthright. Worst of all, her best friend and business partner has been kidnapped before her eyes, and Libby's under suspicion for the crime. Libby's dream come true is becoming a nightmare. Her only option is to find her friend and prove her innocence, or lose everything on the shores of Hope Island. And once again, that book is entitled Tidewater Inn, and it's by Colleen Coble. Now let's take a look at a book by the very popular author Ruth Ware. It's called The IT Girl. April Couts Libidon was the first person Hannah Jones met at Oxford. Vivacious, bright, occasionally vicious, and the ultimate IT girl, she quickly put Hannah into her dazzling orbit. Together, they developed a group of devoted and inseparable friends, Will, Hugh, Ryan, and Emily, during their first term. By the end of the second, April was dead. Now, a decade later, Hannah and Will are expected their first child, and the man convicted of killing April, former Oxford porter John Neville, has died in prison. Relieved to have finally put the past behind her, Hannah's world is rocked when a young journalist comes knocking and presents new evidence that Neville may have been innocent. As Hannah reconnects with old friends and delves deeper into the mystery of April's death, she realizes that the friends she thought she knew all have something to hide, including a murder. The number one New York Times bestselling author of One by One returns with an unputdownable mystery following a woman on the search for answers a decade after her friend's murder. A good summary of a book called, I've referred to it as The IT Girl by Ruth Ware. It very well could be The It Girl, so I want to clarify that in case I've been making a mistake here. The IT, The It Girl, it's called. And it's by Ruth Ware. Now let's turn to a book that's called The Business of Lovers, and it's by Eric Jerome Dickey. Here's the plot for this one. An out-of-work 
project manager and his two brothers are broke and broken-hearted in Los Angeles until a trio of sex workers offers him a way to help his whole family. A pace of asses is what Brick jokingly calls them, but the three women he works with, Penny, Christiana, and Mocha Latte, are sophisticated, well-educated, and down on their luck thanks to bad jobs and worse relationships. He's initially hired to serve as their chauffeur, but soon their high-end female clients invite him inside for more. These high-powered women have deep pockets and deep emotional issues to match, but Brick seems to enjoy giving them the boyfriend experience. He's out of work after a bout with cancer, and he'd also like to help out his brother Dwayne, whose kid and ex-girlfriend are struggling too. Dwayne is a fairly successful stage actor, but after hitting a rough patch, he's behind on his child support payments, and his ex-girlfriend won't let him forget it. Their other brother, Andre, meanwhile has managed to turn his unfortunate run-ins with the cops and other hazards of being black in America into a popular comedy routine. Uh, The brothers see L.A. from all angles, from its high-end hotels to its neglected homeless population. And education alone can't guarantee survival in California's unforgiving real estate market, especially not for people of color. But love can help or hurt their chances. And when it goes wrong, as Dwayne's ex observes, love spares no one. We all pay. Brick's neighborhood is also home to fictional bill collector Ken Swift. And here Dickie has left an Easter egg for readers to find. In this sensual road trip across Los Angeles, there are deep conversations, adult situations, and a sweet love story at every turn. Again, the book is called The Business of Lovers by Eric Jerome Dickey. And we have time for one more book, our first nonfiction book on the program today, A Concise History of Spain by William D. Phillips and Carla Ron Phillips. The rich cultural and political life of Spain has emerged from its complex history, from the diversity of its peoples, and from continual contact with outside influences. This book traces that history from prehistoric times to the present, focusing particularly on culture, society, politics, and personalities. Written in an engaging style, it introduces readers to the key themes that have shaped Spain's history and culture. These include its varied landscapes and climates, the impact of waves of diverse human migrations, the importance of its location as a bridge between the Atlantic and the Mediterranean and Europe and Africa, and religion, particularly militant Catholic Christianity and its centuries of conflict with Islam and Protestantism, as well as debates over the place of the church in modern Spain. Illustrations, maps, and a guide to further reading major cultural figures and places to see make the history of this fascinating country 
come alive. Once again, it's called A Concise History of Spain by William D. Phillips and Carla Ron Phillips. And that's all the time we have for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the State Library of North Carolina, Accessible Books and Library Services, simply Google or search Accessible Books North Carolina Library or call 888-388-2460. You can use those same numbers and website to join the Friends of the State Library of North Carolina Accessible Books and Library Services, our sponsor for this program. And the program is intended for people who are blind or print impaired. Heard any good books lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long until next time. (laughs) 